All right. Well, I hope you had a fantastic week. And I don't know what it was like at our other locations, but uh, wasn't the worship just amazing this morning as we just kind of gathered together? It really was. And, uh, you know, we had uh, just uh, really uh, an incredible week this last week that I just want to take a few minutes and celebrate with you. Last Sunday, I was able to uh, get over to our Midtown campus, which just relaunched a few weeks ago and hang out with that whole team there. And just incredible to see what's going on at that campus. If you live in the Broad Ripple area or you know somebody that does, invite them to go and then go with them. You, you won't be sorry for that. And then I was able to then scoot over to our downtown campus, hadn't been there in a little while. And I was just so personally encouraged by that. Both services were packed, filled with all kinds of uh, young people, had all kinds of conversations out in the lobby that were just so, so encouraging. And, um, and uh, by the way, um, just to let you know, like last Sunday was the highest physical attendance we've had across all campuses since the beginning of the pandemic. And so uh, just something personally, um, to celebrate. And then on Wednesday, uh, we had our leadership conference here at our Northwest campus. A any of you at the leadership conference this last Wednesday? And uh, uh, just uh, a time for us to be able to pour into uh, those of you that serve on a team, because we believe that discipleship should get lived out uh, at home in the community in the marketplace. And so we just want to come around you and, and encourage you in that way. And then um, today, I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're here and you're going, well, Aaron, I'm glad you had a good week. You know, and it's like, and, and maybe you didn't have such a great week. And I just want you to know that um, you're in the right place, specifically with what we want to talk about today. And if you're just now joining us at any one of our campuses or online, we have been in a series of messages since the beginning of the year where we've been walking our way through one of the greatest sermons ever preached of all time. And no, I'm not talking about a Ryan Bramlett sermon. All right. I'm talking about um, a, a sermon that is recorded in Matthew chapters five through seven, where Jesus climbed up on a hillside and he began to teach. And it's really important that we understand what it was that Jesus was trying to do and what, it, uh, what he wasn't trying to do. Like, what is he trying to say and what is he not wanting to say? And the primary thing that we've got to remember is that Jesus was delivering this message towards those of us who have chosen to follow him in every area of our life. Now, we're gonna be imperfect at that. We're gonna still continue to have this like sin condition in our lives. We're still gonna make mistakes and errors, but we are sincerely following after Jesus. And what I want you to know is that there is a massive difference between believing in God and following Jesus. They are not the same. And so what Jesus is saying is like, hey, man, you believe in God. That's fantastic. Even the demons believe in God. What I want is for you to trust me. What I want is for you to actually trust the authenticity of my words rather than the impulses of your feelings. I want you to follow me in every area of, my, of your life. And the word for that is a disciple, somebody who just says, man, Jesus, you're my primary focus and I want to follow after you in every area of my life. This is who the Sermon on the Mount is directed to. Now, not, now, if you're not yet following Jesus, it's not as if you can't get some benefit from it, but he's saying, this is my primary audience. Why? 
because Jesus isn't just teaching us more information for us to learn, although information is good. He's not just inspiring us to live better lives, although inspiration's good as well. Uh, Jesus isn't even teaching us for you to be the best version of you. Jesus is saying, I want you to know what the kingdom of God is like. Now, why is that so important? Well, I think every single one of us, regardless of our perspective or politics, would agree that this world is pretty jacked up. Would we not agree with that? Would there be anybody that go, no, I think the world is as it should be. I mean, we just look at the headlines and just the, the, we see what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine right now. We see like skyrocketing inflation, highest since it's been since the early 80s. We see uh, continue, uh, you know, uh, cases of abuse and just heartbreaking stories in the headlines. All right, that's the headlines. Now, what if your heart could produce some headlines? Like what's going on in your own personal life? What are some of the secrets you're harboring? What's some of the shame you're carrying? What's some of the anxiety and the worries that you're dealing with in your life? Like this world is really, really, really messed up. And so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, like this is never what God wanted it to be or intended it to be. God wanted something totally different. And, he, and so that's why Jesus came. God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And Jesus came to rescue what has been taken. He came to redeem and to restore what has been broken. And that is called the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is what this world was meant to be. The kingdom of God is what it could be and what it should be and what it will by God's grace one day ultimately will be. And so Jesus says, Jesus uh, is communicating this with this consistent refrain. If you've been here, then you're familiar with it by now. He would say, hey, you have heard it said, but I say to you, hey, here's how you see things. Now let me show you a different way of seeing things. Here's how you see these issues. Let me flip it, not upside down, but actually right side up because actually everything the way that we see is upside down. He says, let me flip it right side up and show you what the kingdom of God is like. Now we can make it even more personal. He would say, hey, here's how your relationships currently are. Oh man, here's what they could be. Hey, here's what these issues that are going on in your life. Here's what you're experiencing. Here's what you could experience. Take all of your insecurity, your anger, your jealousy, and your pride. Let me give you a new set of lenses by which to see all of those other issues. Jesus, more so than ever, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, like up until this point, like the number one thing that I've heard from so many of you, I heard this in the lobby at both Midtown and at Downtown last week, over and over and over again. It's like a broken record. People were coming to me and they were saying, oh, Pastor Aaron, this series has been so good and so hard. So good and so hard. It's as if like God's doing spiritual jujitsu on us. It's like I'm in an arm bar and a chokehold and it's hard. And yet I, I would simply say, like, I'm glad that it's hard. Like, I don't want it to be crushing. Like, I don't want it to, um, there's a distinct difference between condemnation and conviction. I never, ever want you to feel condemned. Why? Because Jesus has taken that condemnation for you. He nailed it to a cross. He walked out of an empty grave so that you would no longer have to feel condemned. Don't let, you, you are not in condemnation. I love what we just sang. Like there, there is nobody that is beyond the reach of God's grace. I don't care how jacked up your world is right now. 
But I want you to be convicted every time we open up God's word. Why? Because you're still a work in progress and so am I. There are still issues that God is trying to act. He's trying to sand away those edges of our character so that we'll look more like Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus until it is Christ alone. So I'm glad this is hard. But because uh, it has been the seasons of my life where I've experienced hard things that the most growth has come. It's been those seasons where I've exposed myself to, to pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Like I don't want to have that really hard conversation, but I'm really, really glad I did because we grew through it and we reconciled. Like I don't want to put my body through that physical pain, but I'm going to because I know it's good for my body. And in the same way, it's true spiritually. This has been hard, but it is so good because God wants you to grow and he wants you to be um, representatives of this kingdom coming. That the kingdom of God is the solution to the jacked upness of this world. All right, a couple things. That's the last time I'm going to say jacked up. Okay, and I just made up a word, jacked upness. All right, and so the kingdom of God is the solution to all that. And so Jesus says, "Hey, we're not sitting around on our hands waiting to go to heaven when we die. No, we're actually to be about our Father's work, and we're ushering in the kingdom of God in the here and now." Anybody want to be a part of that? Man, I do. I do. So. As we come to chapter six, we're going to cover verses 25 to 34. So I hope you brought a Bible with you. Um, and if not, you can actually go back through and reread this on your own. I'm going to have some of the passages on the monitor beside me. But uh, verses 25 to 34 is our text. And before we read it, I just simply want to remind you of where we were two weeks ago. And maybe you missed that week. But two weeks ago, we covered 19 to 24. And in 19 to 24, Jesus addressed this thing that so many of us stress about. And uh, I actually uh, threw out the statistic that according to recent polls, more than 70% of us say that we stress about money and material possessions on a monthly basis. And I asked many of you to raise your hands and given by what we looked at around the room, that was true in in our setting here. Jesus talks about treasure. The, The word is mammon, money and material possessions. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure, your treasure always leads your heart, never the other way around. Another way to look at that is the condition of your treasure, your financial peace or lack thereof is actually a reflection of your heart. So Jesus drove down on that and he said, I want you to send your treasure where your heart ultimately wants to be. Or when you let go of your treasure, you're inviting God in to that area of your life that so many of us stress about. And now he's going to actually continue that teaching in our passage today. Verse 25, it's a continuation of what he just taught. He says, that is why I tell you. Now, some translations say, therefore, and that's always a transitionary word. That's always referring to what he's just been talking about. And so he's driving down deeper on application. And he says, I tell you not to, what's the word here? Worry about what? Everyday life. That's an important distinction to make that I just want to point out. Now, I've taught extensively on the subject of anxiety. And while there is overlap between anxiety and worry, and I'm actually going to draw some differences between the two here in just a minute, uh, I I want you to take everything that you know and hear about anxiety because it's actually a really, really hot topic right now, and rightfully so. So many of us are dealing with it. So many of us are wrestling with mental health uh, issues and all of that. And there is a type of anxiety that uh, is clinical, right? Like maybe it requires medication. Maybe it requires therapy of some kind. There's no shame in any of that. I just want you to take everything that you know about that, set it off just to the side. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but set it off to the side so it doesn't leak into what Jesus is going to say here. He's talking about this. Worry about everyday life. What's that? Uh, Just look at your calendar. 
right? Like some of you are like, I don't want to look at my calendar. I'll worry, right? You got all these things coming up. You've got these uh, errands to run, these appointments to have, these projects to fulfill. You got to run the kids to school. You've got bills to pay, like all of these issues, everyday life. That's what he's talking about. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And then he just asked the question, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, the word for worry in the New Testament was something that was used to indicate something that divides, separates, or distracts. Actually, the original word for it is this word right here, marina, and it meant a mind divided in a hundred different directions. It's this idea that I'm constantly thinking about or focused on multiple things at once, therefore not really seeing anything at all. So it's kind of like um, driving and being distracted, distracted behind the wheel. There's multiple ways you can be distracted behind the wheel. The one that comes to mind most clearly is probably texting and driving, but there are other ways to be distracted behind the wheel. You can be distracted messing with the radio. You can be distracted looking in the rearview mirror. You can be distracted in a conversation with the passenger next to you. You can be distracted. Have you ever been distracted just daydreaming? You ever been driving down the road and you're just daydreaming about something and all of a sudden you, you come to and you're like, I don't remember the last mile. Frightening. This is the word. Your mind is running around in a million different directions where you can't see in front of you. How about this? That's, that's a driving analogy. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with a spouse or with a friend or with a boss and they're not there? Some of you are like, this morning, I, on the way to church, right? And you're like, there's this blank look in their eye. They're already thinking about what they're going to say next. They're not listening to you. Their mind is in a different place. This is the word. And Jesus is actually making this personal between you and your heavenly father. This is why he's getting at this. He's like, hey, when you're worried, like your mind is all over the place and it's actually creating a wedge in your connection to your heavenly father. And then he says in verse 26, he's going to give a couple of analogies. He goes, hey, hey look at the, the birds. Like they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And then aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Now, it's kind of a silly analogy, but he's basically saying, hey, now birds are valuable to God. But, um, you know, birds don't worry about the future. Now we've got these... Uh, birds that show up on our front porch every spring. They're called morning doves. They kind of look a little bit like a pigeon and they create a nest in the exact same spot every single spring and never once. I mean, it's like consistent, like clockwork. Never once have I seen a full-size fridge in the nest. You're like, Aaron, that's ridiculous. And that's exactly my point. Like I've never seen like a bird like carrying around a U-Haul. Yeah, like they don't worry about it. They are literally don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They fly out of the nest. They try to find a worm, right? Or a bug. It's like, he's basically saying this point. He's like, hey, like you are infinitely more valuable than them. And then he asked this really penetrating question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Anybody want to answer that question out loud? Well, I mean, we know the answer. We don't, we just don't want to vocalize it. But the answer is like, no, like all my worrying, it's not going to add any other additional moment to my life. In fact, there's so many things, there are more things out of your control than in your control. 
And he's saying, you can't change any of it by spinning in your mind about it. Then he gives another example. In verse 28, he says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. In other words, he goes, hey, the flowers don't have a nine to five. They don't go shopping. And yet they are beautiful. When you look at them, more beautiful than Solomon, who was the wealthiest, well-dressed dude in all of history. And then he says in verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, notice that he switched the analogy up there. And he goes, they're here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. Now that sounds really, really brutal, but it's just a metaphor to say life is brief. And he says, hey, if God cares for the flowers that are so brief, just here for a season, will he certainly not care for you? And then he asked this really convicting question. Why do you have so little faith? Faith is just a trust in God. And he's basically saying when you're consumed in worry, it is a revealing of your lack of trust in God. Here's another way of asking that question. Why do you doubt God to provide when he says he will? Here's another way of asking it. Why do you feel like you've got to do God's job for him? When we worry, that's what we're doing. We're sort of acting like God in our own lives. Now, none of us would say that we are greedy, but this is the beginnings of greed. This is what it looks like. Greed for everybody just basically says, I was just trying to provide for me and my family. And then it, what it happened is, is that we took too much control, acted like God, and it consumed us. Verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things saying, and here's all the hypotheticals, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And then he said, these things dominate. That's another word for just um, obsessed. That's all I can focus on. The thoughts of, of who? Well, unbelievers. Now, this isn't a religious thing. This is the idea of like for people that are not trusting in God as their heavenly father. They're all on their own. And he's like, hey man, like if you're all on your own, then why wouldn't you be consumed about all this? If you're all on your own, then it is about you climbing the corporate ladder. If you're all on your own, then it is about you going out and hustling as a side gig so that way you can make ends meet. He's like, you're all on your own. How tragic is that? That's going to dominate your thinking. But he says, this is what people who don't have a relationship with their heavenly father live, not those of you who have entrusted your very life to Jesus. And then he just brings up this like truth that I oftentimes forget. He goes, your heavenly father already knows all your wants. No, actually didn't say that. It says needs. And there is a massive difference. It's like your, your heavenly father already knows everything that you need. It's kind of like what, you know, Pastor Ryan talked about last week when he was talking about prayer. Like, like, why should we pray? God already knows. And here it is. He goes, God already knows everything that you need. So it's not as if God is shocked. It's not as if God is like, you know, oh, why didn't you say anything? I had no idea you needed a sandwich. Like, if you would have said something sooner, I could have provided you a Diet Coke. Like, I had no idea you weren't wearing pants. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And everybody else around you, thanks as well. No, he's like, he's, this is what, like God already knows. He's just waiting for you to ask. And it's not about you informing God of what you need. It's about you connecting to your heavenly father. No different than you as a parent already knowing what your children need. They don't, 
You don't need them to draw your attention to it. You already know. What you, what, what you want is a connection to your kids. And he says, I mean, tell, tell God what you need. And then he finishes up in verse 33. Seek, remember what this sermon is about, the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, one track mind. See life through the lens of the kingdom. And live righteously. That word is just short for rightly. And then it says this. This is written as a promise. He will give you everything you need. That is a promise, not a suggestion. Can I say it this way? Uh, God's got this. Like he's, he's got it. And there'll be a bunch of you that will push back. I'll get to this in a minute. Push back and say, well, God always hasn't had it. And there, there were times, sometimes I did tell God what I needed and it didn't come, he didn't come through for me. And uh, I just want to ask you to, to um, rethink that a minute. We're, we're going to circle back. Hold that thought. We're going to circle back on that very uh, good and understandable objection. What I want you to hear right now is that God is not surprised. God already knows. And God has got this. Whatever it is, listen to me, whatever it is you're worried about right now. And I'm not talking about a hypothetical. I'm talking about that thing that's weighing you down. That thing that you brought in here with you right now. The question is, will you carry it out with you? And then he finishes with some really practical counsel. Verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Isn't that true? Today's trouble is enough for today. In other words, he's saying, um, are you fully present? That's another way of saying that. So when you are constantly worried, when you've got double vision, when you're distracted and not seeing anything, then you're not really listening. You're not really focused. You're not really fully present. You're not bringing the best uh, of you to the table. Your mind is elsewhere. This is what happens when we are like in the moment and we are maybe really dealing with some issues in the past. So we're sort of like processing the past or we are planning for the future that robs us of the present. And I'm not saying that processing the past or planning for the future is wrong. In fact, there's a time and a place to do those things. But he's saying if you're constantly living there, then you're missing the moment. Like you, and it's actually hurting or holding back your relationships with others and ultimately your relationship with God. So what do we do with worry? Now, here's the thing that I want you to know is that Jesus understands that we're going to experience worrisome thoughts on a daily basis. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not just telling us, hey, stop worrying. That's not what he's saying. In fact, it kind of reminds me of that old uh, Bob Newhart clip. I'm dating myself a little bit. Bob Newhart was a comedian in the 1980s. And, um, <laughs> and you could, for those of you who don't remember this, like you can uh, YouTube it, not now, but later. And he was like a guest on this other show called Mad TV, which was actually better than Saturday Night Live. But anyway, I digress. All right, so, so he's, he's, like, uh, he's like on that show and he's playing a psychologist and this lady comes in and she's got all these problems. She got a list of problems. And, and one of the problems was she's like, you know, afraid of heights. And one of the problems is that she's a, got a fear of being buried alive and all this, these problems. And he's charging her by the hour. And he says, okay, I understand all of your issues. And he goes, pull out a pen and a paper. I'm going to give you some counsel what you should do. And he just gives her two words. Stop it. <laughs> like that's like his word for like all that. And she's so frustrated. And he's like, you don't want to be... Think about being buried alive, do you? He's like, just stop it, right? So what I don't want you to hear is Jesus say, hey man, you don't want to be consumed with worry, do you? Stop it. 
Like, like you, don't, you don't want to be just living in your past or living in the future. You want to be fully present. So stop it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is telling us, here's what, what you do to put worry in its place. Here's what you do with worry when it comes into your mind. So here's some words of application, right? If you're taking notes, this would be the time to begin writing some stuff down, all right? Here's the definition of worry or one. To allow one's mind, this is the key word, to dwell on problems or trouble. It's not a matter of like if you're going to think about or if problems or trouble are going to come into your life. Like, that we live in a really broken world with really broken people. So problems and trouble is a given. Are we going to dwell on it? Like, are we just going to stay there? That, that's worry. So, so think about it like this. Any of you ever been to the airport? You're in a plane, you're on the tarmac, getting ready to take off. You look out the window and you see all of these planes on approach. And they're all kind of stacked up in the sky. They're all flying in. Think about that as thoughts that may uh, cause you to worry potential problems and issues. And the thing about that is you may not control every worrisome thought that flies into your mind, but you do control which ones you allow to land. For some of them, you're going to have to redirect them. For some of them, you're going to have to say, you cannot land here. There is no real estate for you to park here. And this is where it's helpful possibly to draw another distinction between worry and anxiety. While similar, they are not the same. So you understand that worry primarily, I'm speaking in generalities here, worry primarily is a thought. Anxiety primarily is a feeling. Worry happens mostly in your head. Anxiety mostly happens in your heart. Worry takes place in your brain. Anxiety is felt in your body. And once again, there is a form of anxiety that is clinical, may require some medication or some additional therapy. There's no shame in any of that. I want you to just take what you know about that, set it off to the side here a little bit and understand that Jesus is addressing the worries of everyday life that is robbing you of living life to the fullest, robbing you of relationship, robbing you of connection to your heavenly father. And he's saying, as you go about planning and preparing for your day, remember where to look, put worry in its place. Now, why does Jesus talk about this in the Sermon on the Mount? And here's the reason why. And I don't often think that we make this connection. The reality is that worry is a deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual issue. And it has little to do with our actual needs. Because let's just be honest, not all of us, but most of us, um, we don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from. Not all of us, but most of us. Like we've got a closet full of clothes. Most of our clothes, like we, we don't even wear. Like most of us, not all of us. Like tonight, we know that we're going to have a roof over our head. And in fact, we've even got houses for our cars. They're called garages. Like most of us, like we don't have to worry about any of these hypotheticals that Jesus is mentioning. And yet we worry all the time. And why? Because this is a posture of our hearts. And God wants your mind directed towards him, he wants a relationship with you, not a transaction, not a formalized like religion where I bring this thing to the table and God accepts me and loves me, but God wants a relationship with you. And we have an enemy who hates that, despises that. So he creates all kinds of distractions and deceptions to keep you from connecting to, focused on, and talking to your heavenly father. And one of his most effective and pervasive tools 
and subtle tools is just to get you to worry. And one of the most practical passages that helps us to know how to put worry in its place comes out of the letter to the Philippians. For many of you, you've heard this before. Philippians chapter four, verse six, uh, Paul writes this. He goes, hey, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Now, some of us hear this and we're like, don't worry about anything. That's impossible. I can't help but worry. Like I'm worried right now. Well, I wanna give you a little bit of relief here by telling you that he doesn't say never worry. He says, don't worry. Like don't dwell on it. Don't stay there. And so when worry comes into our mind, that's totally okay, understandable even, but then we've got a decision to make. Am I gonna dwell on it or am I gonna redirect it? And this is why this is such an important distinction to make because really here's what, what worry is. Like worry is you talking to yourself about your problems. It is prayer turned inside out. It is the, the destination of our prayers terminating on ourselves rather than going towards our heavenly father. It's all the what ifs. It's all the if onlys. It's all the what abouts. It's you rehearsing the worst case scenario in your mind. It's you spending enormous amounts of emotional energy on things that may never happen. It is putting a down payment on a problem you might never have. Somebody once described it this way. Worry is an internal false prophet that prophesies a hopeless future of doom. How awful. I don't want to do that. Well, stop it. All right, just stop it. Right. No, why do I do it? Can I, can I just speak like very transparently with you that like, like I don't mean to brag, but I'm really good at worrying. Like, I'm so good at it. Like, it's frightening how good I am at this. And, and I was thinking about this last week. I was like, why do I worry? Like, why? Like, I know all this stuff. Like, why do I still worry? And there's just this really subtle answer. It's almost like straight from the Holy Spirit just nailed me to my seat. Because Aaron, you're trying to control things. And you like to be in control too much. In fact, you hate it when you're not in control. I'm a control freak. And if I can't control the circumstances, then I'll just like worry. And uh, what happens is, is it becomes a mental habit. It's a lie that we sort of believe subconsciously. Here, here's the lie. If I worry today, well, then I'll have peace tomorrow. But it never works out that way. And this is the lie that Jesus is sort of revealing in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 27, he goes, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And I think we would all go like, no, like, and I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. I like in these moments when I just worry profusely about things that I cannot change, they're out of my control. And then when this, and then when the season is over, I'm never like, well, the, that worry paid off. Gosh, I'm so glad I spent all that time in such misery. Uh, last uh, January, a year ago, um, in the middle of, uh, winter, uh, we, uh, we have a propane tank at our house. It was starting to run low. And so I called the gas company. It was about 20% left in the, in the tank. And so they said, yeah, we'll, we'll put you in the schedule and get somebody out soon. And so a week went by, I didn't see anybody. And we're starting to get kind of low. We we're dropped under 10%. And so I called the gas company. I'm like, hey, you know, I called you guys and 
start running really low. And if we run out of propane, then like, you know, it no longer heats the house and, you know, snow on the ground, really, really cold temperatures. And so I'm concerned about that. And so I, I called on, on a Monday, we're down to less than 10% in the tank. And, and the guy says, Hey, you are on the schedule um, to be delivered by the end of the day. I was like, great. Hung up. End of the day came, no propane truck. So Tuesday, I get up, the, the tank keeps dropping. I'm starting to get a little more worried. And so I call again. I get the same response every time I call. Uh, hey, you're on, the, you're on the schedule to be delivered by the end of the day. And I would feel this like sense of peace because I'm in control. All right. Tro- truck would not come. So we get down to uh, Thursday night. We're down to like two or 3% left in the propane tank. More snow's coming in. I called, same kind of deal. And I'm starting to get kind of frustrated and really kind of concerned. And the lady says the same thing to me. She's like, you know, you're, you're on the schedule. And I'm like, all right. So I go to bed, no propane truck, wake up the next morning. We're at 1%. Fridays are my day off. So I'm at home and I'm, and I call again and I'm like, Hey, listen to me. Like we're at 1%, like at any moment, like we're going to freeze to death. Right, you know, it's just like, it's like, this is like gonna be really bad. Like you gotta get somebody out here. And the the lady on the other end, she was so calm. She just goes, uh, she goes, you're on the schedule for the end of the day. (laughs) And I was like, you guys have been telling me that all week. And at one point she goes, well, um, I'm telling you like all I can do is just to inform you that you're on the schedule. Meaning that if the driver can get there today, he's going to get there today. And I said, is there anything more we can do. And I'll never forget what she said. She goes, there is nothing more you can do. And I said, so are you telling me that I can't do anything more? And she goes, sir, I'm telling you it's out of your hands. And I hung up and I'm almost ashamed to admit this publicly. So can we just kind of keep it between us? (laughs) It was the first time I actually prayed about it. Aren't you glad I'm your pastor? Like it's like (laughs) such a spiritual giant. Here's what I'm ashamed about. It had never crossed my mind. I don't know if it was because it was propane. I don't know if I just like lessened the issue. Like like God doesn't want to be bothered by that. Like I, I don't need to pray about it. I've already called. I am in control. And it was the first time I literally like dropped my phone. I dropped my head and I was just like, God, I don't know what else to do. And I wish I, I'm not making this up. I, it was, I looked up and all of a sudden there was this propane truck coming out of the heavens. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Like literally, like my wife was home. You can ask her. Like I screamed. I was like, ah! I was like, Lindsay, the propane truck's driving down the driveway. And she was just like, she wasn't worried at all. She's cool as a cucumber, right? And uh, I literally go running outside in the snow, in my shorts, and I jumped into the arms of that truck driver. He thought I was crazy. I was like, I'm, you, I'm so glad to see you, man. And, right? and he's like, okay, all right. Now, I didn't walk back inside and go, man, all that worrying was worth it. And I actually felt pretty, pretty foolish. Can I just say that like worry does nothing for you. It's sort of like um, a, a car engine in park and you're revving the engine. And if you rev the engine too much, you'll damage the engine. That's what worry is. See, um, you can't make yourself prettier or more handsome by worrying. You can't make yourself richer 
You, you can't make yourself shorter or taller. You can't lengthen your life, but you can shorten it with worry. It can't change the past or you can't control your future. All it does is make today miserable. And by the way, those around you miserable as well. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. It just completely depletes you. And so I might have a worry about something, but here's this resolve. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to stay worried. So, so what do you do with it? Well, check out verses six and seven. So practical. Paul writes, hey, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Notice there are two actions in this one sentence. And most of the time, I don't know about you, but my prayer life is usually dominated by this. And I always forget that. I don't know about you, but like, I don't know how many times like I prayed to God about something. I, I remember the prayers that I feel God didn't answer, but I rarely go back and thank God for the prayers he did. And actually, by the way, God never, you sincerely ask him, he'll always answer every prayer. Chances are he just didn't answer it the way that you wanted it. So you put it in the unanswered prayer category. Or he didn't answer it according to your timeline. And you put it in the unanswered prayer category. And you say, prayer doesn't work. God isn't listening. He's not even real. God will answer every prayer. But oftentimes I don't circle back on this. Here's how simple this is. So when it comes, let's just take my propane example, all right? Big, big problems, okay? And we just say, hey, God, here's what we need. Thank you for the house you've provided. Hey, God, here's what I need right now in this moment. Like, here's what I'm hoping will come, come about. And you know what? God, thank you for being such a good, good father. And he says, when we can remember to thank God, here, here's what happens. Then you will experience, that's actually something you feel and experience. God's, say the word out loud with me. Peace. There's just something about that word that even creates a sense of calm in me. I'm going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other words, you can't explain it. Why? Because he hasn't come through yet. He hasn't answered the thing that you've been praying for yet. You actually say, hey, God, here's what I need. Thank you so much for what you've done. And he hasn't even had the time to answer it yet. And all of a sudden you've got this sense of peace. Why do you have peace? Because God, nope, I don't even know how to, why I have peace. It exceeds all of my understanding. Now, listen, that is not a suggestion. It is a promise. He says, this is how it works. And there's so much packed into those three sentences that's so refreshing if you stop to listen. And the primary thing that I want you to get from it is that God desires a relationship with you, not a transaction. And most of the time, if we're being honest, our prayers, if we do ever get around to praying, are just transactions. And God refuses to be an ATM machine. God refuses to say, oh, just present your request. Just drop the comment in the comment box and then I'll get around to be at your beck and call. That, that's not what he wants. He's happy to do so. But what he primarily wants is a relationship. That's how we experience peace. With, so you don't experiencing peace with your heavenly father. Is it because you've turned him into a vending machine? And he wants to be your dad. So like, I can't help, but even as I'm listening to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, wonder if the undertones beneath this is like almost like a sense of disappointment and hurt because he's your heavenly father and he knows what you need. That's what he said. And he just wants you to bring it to him and he wants you to express some gratitude. 
And I would be highly offended if my kids were constantly coming to me all the time and saying, you know, dad, did you remember to pay the light bill? Dad, dad, don't forget to make the mortgage payment on the 15th. Like, you know, we don't want to be out on the streets, dad. Like after a while, I'm going to go from annoyed to just hurt. Because as their heavenly father, like as their, as their earthly father, their imperfect earthly father, I know what they need. I'm going to give it to them. And it would be nice to hear the words, thank you from time to time. So some of you are like, well, Aaron, you don't understand what's going on in my life right now. Like I'm going through a divorce. Like I have been uh, praying and praying for God to bring me the one. And I thought I had the one and then we just broke up and, or you know what, I've got this thing going on at work and, or maybe I just got fired or you, whatever it is, you fill in the blank that you're worried about right now. And you're like, I just don't feel like thanking God because I'll, I'll thank God whenever I can get into a better season. I'll thank God when I do meet the one. I'll thank God when I do land the job. I'll thank God when the, uh, cancer diagnosis is negative. And can I just say, you'll be waiting a long time. See, I used to think that life was uh, either filled with either ors, but actually life is both ands. I used to think that life was like, hey man, things are great, but things are bad. Hey man, I'm, I'm, things are up, things are down. But that's not true, is it? Like, like right now, just in your life, are there some things right now that you're really excited about? Things are going really, really good, comma, and there's also some things that are really struggles right now. So instead of ups and downs, life is like a set of railroad tracks. There's good and bad run parallel. Ups and downs runs parallel. Blessings and curses run parallel. There's always things in our life. That's why the brilliance of what Jesus says here, or the brilliance of what Paul says in Philippians is so important. Where he says, tell God what you need, Challenges, thank you for what he's done, the blessings. There is always room for you to be able to do both. And we don't get to choose what we're going through. We do get to choose what we think about. And then here's the promise in verse seven. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God wants to guard your heart and your mind with peace, but some of us have nowhere to put it because we're constantly feeding it with worry. And so now he says in verses eight and nine, as we close up, he says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix, keep in mind our definition of worry, divided thinking, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace, will be with you. Do you notice a recurring theme? This is so practical. He is telling us that you need to start thinking about what you're thinking about. It's a mental habit and it's like training. And listen to me, I know you can do this. And the reason why I know you can do this is because many of you listening to this right now, you have potty trained a toddler. <laughs> many of you have housebroken a puppy. And so what happens is they have an accident, you clean it up and then you retrain. And the same is true with worrisome thoughts. Like you're gonna have an accident, it's gonna slip through, you're gonna dwell on it. So what do you do? Well, you clean it up, you redirect it and you retrain. And it develops this like mental habit in your mind. And here Paul gives this really practical help. He goes, hey, every time you have a worry fly into the airspace of your mind, he says, ask these eight questions as to whether or not it can land. Is it true? Is it honorable? 
Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? And if the answer is no, then you say, man, you're not going to land here. You know what's not on that list? Rumors and gossip and conspiracy theories and fear. You want to know what is like more contagious than an airborne virus? It is worry and fear. And it spreads the most efficiently in groups. And this is why the church of Jesus Christ is so important now more than ever, is that we should be ambassadors of his kingdom coming, showing that there is a different way to model how to live in the midst of fear and worry. So as I wrap up, I just want to give you two things. What do you do with it? Real simply, uh, uh, worry becomes the fuel for your prayer life and worry becomes the motivation for your worship. Some of us are like, I don't know what to pray. I'm not very good at words. Okay, very, very simple. What are you worried about right now? Write it down. Turn it into a prayer. It's all about the destination. Prayer is basically uh, telling your, uh, you're centering your worries on a destination and it's your heavenly father. And then worship is not a group of perfect people who had a fantastic week and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Worship is you coming in loaded down with worry and letting it go. Which, by the way, is where this posture comes into play. When I see a room full of people with hands up, I don't look around going, showboaters. I don't do that. I look around going, those are people releasing their worries to God. You know who else does this? Little kids reaching for their heavenly father. This is a group of people saying, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Can I very lovingly, but very directly say, I don't get it. Now, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking to Christ followers here. I'm not talking to people who believe in God or just pop in from time to time or who aren't yet following Jesus. I'm so glad that you're here. Can I just put followers of Jesus in an arm bar for a minute? I don't get those who say that we've trusted Jesus with our entire life, who come in and act bored or distracted or angry in worship. Like, I honestly like don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand whenever you like see people that I, I know you're a follower of Jesus and you're standing there with your resting Bible face on. <laughs> Hope the word is good today. I'm not excited to be here. I'm not saying you need to be like, be somebody that you're not. I had a friend years ago that would stand there with his resting Bible face, <laughs> acted angry to be in church. And I, and I was in a group of them. And I was like, hey, Kevin, like, is there something wrong? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, you act so mad in worship. And he's like, oh man, I don't mean to be. He's like, I, I just don't sing. So internally, I'm just agreeing with the lyrics. <laughs> and I'm like, well, could you like tell your body to agree? Like, because... <laughs> You're sort of bumming the rest of us out, man. <laughs> and so what I, what I want is a church that worships authentically. Here's what that could potentially mean. That means the worse your week, the better your worship. Because you're like, man, like, God, I've got all these worries that are weighing me down. I'm going to give it to you. And hands up in the air is people who are surrendered, letting go of their worries and concerns. Here's why we should do this is because this is rehearsal for eternity. No, we're not all going to be in choir robes singing choir songs for eternity, that 
would be hell. All right, so. <laughs> just keeping it real. Um, no, but we are all gonna be gathered focused on King Jesus, every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? And so we come together with different perspectives, backgrounds, ethnicities, and we are rehearsing for eternity. Um, March the 9th, we have an all, uh, we have a worship night that's coming up and we need to get ready for that, all right? We need to be training for that. And so, so this posture is a church that is surrendered and a church that is letting go of those things that they're worried about. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you just in these few seconds to stop and I want you to say, okay, what am I worried about right now? And God, I'm gonna redirect that in a prayer to you. God, here's what I need. Thank you for what you've done. And then we get a chance to stand to our feet and I would hope that maybe you'd be willing to just hold out your arms like this or hold out your arms like this. You don't need to worry about what people around you think. This is between you and your heavenly father who more than anything wants to hear from you. He already knows what you need. He just wants you. So let's give it to him. Father, we come to you right now. Thank you for how practical your teaching is. I feel right now like the, the chief of all worriers. And oftentimes telling you what I need and thanking you for what you've done isn't the first option that pops into my mind. And I'm sorry for that. Thank you for being patient with me. God, there's no shortage of things for us to be worried about. We can't control the vast majority of it. So simply today as your people, we trust you. And so we want to ask you for what we need. We want to thank you for what you've done. And we ask that you would give us an experience of your presence, an experience of your peace, because that's what the world needs right now more than anything else. In Jesus' name.